0: Hey, I love therapy, and in fact, I've been going to therapy since I was around six years old. Though I talk about therapy a lot and may interview some therapists on the show on occasion, nothing that is said in this podcast should be considered a replacement for therapy. If you are struggling, I urge you to please seek guidance from a therapist because you are absolutely worth it. everyone, you are listening to Wine, Dine, and 69, a podcast about dating, relationships, sex, and self-love. I am your host, Rachel Dalton. I hope that everybody's doing well. I myself am about 24 hours from opening my show, so that is uh, exciting and terrifying at the same time. Uh, But you know what? I have a lot to get into, so we're just going to dive right in. Um, The first thing that I wanted to talk about today does not have anything to do with the episode. And that is an article that I found that was published this past September called, uh, called Normal Marital Hatred is Real. Here's what to do about it. And that's a pretty clickbaity title. But, uh, in the article, they interview an author, uh, whose last name is real real his name's terence real we'll say uh, and he's the author of a book called us getting past you and me to build a more loving relationship this article talks about this idea that it is normal to go through phases of disruption in a relationship they talk about here in the article that the relationship any relationship will go through these phases uh, and those phases include harmony and closeness, and then disruption, like I mentioned, and then a repair and a return to closeness. Um, and, quote, this pattern can play out at the micro level 20 times in the course of one dinner conversation, or it can pay, play out at the macro level over decades of marriage. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of something that I was considering a couple of years ago, which is the idea is love feeling or a choice. And I think it's funny because love, it should start as a feeling. You shouldn't just, you know, pick somebody based on how they are on paper. So ultimately it should start as a feeling. But marriage, I think that marriage is a choice. And I think that to some extent, the love that comes with a long-term marriage is a choice. Uh, You're going to go through those patterns over and over and over again. Um... Terrence Riel, the author of the book that I mentioned before, that is uh, discussed in this article, also says, "Your relationship is your biosphere. You're not above it. You're in it. You breathe it." And I, I love that way of looking at a relationship as not just something that is happening to you, you between you and another person. It is a, it is an entity of in and of itself, completely. And you are a part of that. And just like it is our job to take care of Mother Earth, I'm really big about recycling. I don't know if that's come up on the podcast before, but my partner said that the like two times that he's ever seen me get really, really angry is when I uh, yelled at him over not recycling correctly and not taking care of the plants correctly. So that gives you a, a sense of uh, that part of my personality. Uh, But taking this idea of a biosphere the way that you are supposed to take care of Mother Earth because she is our host, I love that idea of taking that and kind of putting it into uh, the relationship lens. It also kind of reminds me of um, Landy Baton. He was interviewed in, oh, I don't remember which. I'll link it in the episode notes. But the title of the article was another kind of clickbaity title called Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And it talks about finding a good enough relationship, not something that is, you know, full of ups and downs and passion and depression, but something that is stable and good. Because good is better than perfect, as as they say. Uh, so, yeah, that was just an article that I found that I thought really tacked on to some of these ideas that I've been thinking about, the philosophy of relationships. And if you um, are into the study of that, I always recommend the Gottman Institute that was also mentioned in this article, Uh, always trying to find the secret to what makes a relationship long, successful, and happy. So uh, let me know your thoughts on that. What's your relationship philosophy? Does that make sense to you? Um, Do you have a different idea in which you think about a relationship? I'm, I'm curious. So let me know. Uh, The other things that I'm going to talk about today have a little bit more to do directly with the episode. Today, I interview uh, the gynecologist Shama Matthews, who, oh my gosh, it's an incredible conversation. I wanted to start off uh, 2024 with this episode because of just how dynamic um, this conversation was and how much I learned and how much I hope that you'll learn from it. So we go through a bunch of myths and FAQs regarding sex and the vagina and birth control and uh, what... We wish that penis owners knew about vagina owners, vulva owners, um, because they are two different things. I'm trying to teach myself that, too. There's a difference between the vagina and the vulva. The vagina is bigger than the vulva. The vagina is the entire internal organism. It's important to know, make those distinctions. Okay, Uh, so one of the things that we talk about is male birth control, and, uh, you know, I... I'm going to link a article from 2016 in the episode notes uh, from CNN Health which is about when that birth control uh, study was shut down because the uh, men that were participating were having side effects uh, that were very similar to what women experience uh, when they are taking their birth control. But, while I was trying to find that article, I came across something else which is newer. I'm still a little late, but this is from May 2023. Oh, it was published three days after my birthday. So, uh, this is an article from, uh, actually, not a site that I know anything about, but it's called Life Sciences Intelligence. Cool. Um, and it this is more about a gel. This is a male birth control gel uh, that provides. Different options for men because, as we know, the onus for not getting pregnant is on the woman almost all the time. Uh, and so here, this is a gel that you put on. It's called Nes-T Gel, and it's a gel that you can put onto your shoulders. That's it's a mixture of hormones, which is what female birth control is also, uh, and. It's uses this article goes more into depth, but it uses different hormones than is typically used in in the birth control used by uh vulva owners. So yes, this gel, as I said, is applied on a man's shoulder and upper arms, and it's absorbed through the skin. Um, and it's gone through a six month trial, and the it sounds like it's been relatively effective. It's uh needs to be used daily, and there are some rules. I think. I read that you can't shower for, I think the number was four hours after applying it. But yes, it's a study that is still occurring on results will be coming out more in depth in the, hopefully soon, sooner rather than later. I'm really excited about this. Now, my first thought though was, (laughs) and you'll hear a story in this episode about um, one of my, one of my exes and uh, his complete disregard for what I experienced, um, using birth control and his, (laughs) he was just completely okay with the onus of, uh, the fertility issue being on me. Um, and so one of my first thoughts when reading the study was, oh man, I would not trust most of my exes to use this product. I wouldn't trust them to remember. I wouldn't trust them not to shower. Like, and I think that's something that a lot of Volvo owners face Is okay but like it's I'm comfortable with it being on me But then I thought about it And I was like maybe that says more about Me and how I'm choosing partners Rather than Like men as a whole Maybe I need to have more faith And the sample size of the men that I have dated um, I, I just know how to pick them Apparently uh, In that I don't know how to pick them Correctly at all <laughs> But I could think of 1 X, and of course, my current partner would be very, I mean, they're just they would absolutely be able to handle the rules that go along with um, making this male birth control effective. So, uh, you know, my first thought being, oh, I don't know that I would trust men as a general rule to, stay on top of this maybe says more about me and me being jaded than it does about men so uh that's a me problem and fellas I have faith in you uh well anyway so I'm gonna link but I'm gonna link all of that in the episode notes you're gonna get all of it um but let's let's move on a little bit so in my conversation with uh Dr. Shama Matthews we talk about a partnership that she has with Playground, which, holy shit, I mean, I just need to say this is what I wish that Cosmo was. Instead of Cosmo being like 10 ways to blow your partner's mind, whatever, like all the stupid thing that is so much more focused on male pleasure, and Dr. Rama said something amazing in this episode, which has really stuck with me since, which is, who is the vagina for? and uh, I'm not even going to say anything more about that. I'm just going to let that linger there in the ether, but back to playground. So this is exactly what I wish that I had had. Oh my gosh, there's articles about different types of lubrication, um, pregnancy, and how that can affect your sex life. Uh, They partner with a bunch of different experts. They have a list of the podcasts that they've uh, partnered with they have a section called the School of Sexology which has so many resources i i mean there are areas where people could confess anonymously uh there are articles about giving you advice about uh, the vagina or about how to make sex less painful because uh as we've said before sex shouldn't be painful and if if it is, then there is something that you can do about it. It doesn't, you don't need to just endure that. Um, but it's incredible. I mean, there are articles here. You can, uh, Dr. Shama does office hours with Playground. Uh, and there are podcasts. There's a community section. It's, it's just such a cool resource and absolutely what I wish that I had had because the older I get, the more I realize that I really was conditioned um, by society uh, like to do everything for the male gaze. And I'm trying to change that. I think that that has been something that has come up a lot for me. And uh, it's something that I've had to try to fight against a little bit. And just looking at what we're consuming and what I was consuming, you know, the, all these Cosmo articles and all these things that are focused more about how you can be hotter and better for a man, I think that even though I might have rolled my eyes at the time, I think that some part of my subconscious did take that in. I think a lot of people did. And uh, I go back to that question, who is the vagina for? And uh, I think that Playground is a great resource to really put the focus back on where it should be. Uh, So that's my little soapbox. On that, uh, I am going to cut to a quick commercial break, as per usual, Um, and then I know that you're going to love this episode. It just seems like the perfect thing to start the year with. Uh, Dr. Shama is an incredible individual, um, and we had such a great conversation, and uh, I can't wait for you to learn from her, and also, of course, follow her on other socials so you can continue that learning. So... Quick commercial, and then please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Shama Matthews. So CBD is great, right? Sex is great, right? Okay, so what happens when you put the two of them together? What you get is a honeypot CBD-infused personal lubricant created by a couple who is wonderfully in love, Dennis and Jessie. Honeypot is the perfect lube to level up your sex life. They also have an intimate romantic massage oil to get you revved up and started called Romantic Escapades. You're definitely going to want to try these products. This wonderful couple put a ton of work into them. And if you want to learn more about them and their story, you can go ahead and visit that episode. Episode 59. Wouldn't it be great if it were 69? It really would have been. Oh, well. Anyway, give Honeypot a try. Give Romantic Escapades a try. And let me know what you think. You can go and learn more about them at FantasticEscapades.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am very excited for the conversation that I'm going to have today. Uh, First, I want to introduce my guest, Dr. Shama Matthews. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Rachel?
0: I'm doing well, and I am very excited to dive into this. This is going to be the highlight of my day, which has been very stressful, and I just knew that I had this interview waiting, and I was like, all right, this will be the the thing that redeems today. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure, though. No pressure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel you on the stressful day. And, uh, no, I'm excited to talk to you tonight, too.
0: Great. Well, uh, so you are an OBGYN, um, and so I kind of just want to dive into, like, all of the OBGYN questions because as i was saying before we hit record there's so many things that i wish i had known you know 10 years ago when i started my my sexual journey um and so i kind of just want to get get it all out there but before we do that let's kind of start with you telling me and the listeners a little bit about you how you came to be involved in this work and yeah just give us a little bit of an overview Sure.
1: Um, so I'm actually a gynecologist. I don't practice obstetrics, so obstetrics uh, okay. is the Yep. And uh, gynecology is the everything except babies part <laughs> about women's yes. health. Um, so I focus a lot on you know general women's health care, um, wellness visits. I'll do. I actually am a certified menopause practitioner. I'm also a minimally invasive gyn surgeon. Um, I deal a lot with chronic pelvic pain, endometriosis, fibroids um sexual health um you know uh, pain with intercourse um things like that and then i have um in my journey and kind of um you know getting sort of um more interested in these topics and educating on these topics i found my way to becoming a medical advisor for a female sexual wellness company called playground um which is a fantastic company uh, developed by two incredibly smart women Um, And their focus is really bringing to market a uh, product that is in tune with the female body. So it's a lubricant that's really meant to be fun and exciting. And then at the same time, still part of taking care of you and not throwing your balance off. And so you know, um, being able to, to use something like lubricant without fear of like, you know, getting an infection or causing irritation and if anything, preventing them. Um, so it, it's kind of cool. I, I was able to kind of get involved with them and, um, in launching a product and, and kind of getting the word out. Um, so yeah, so I, I kind of use, um, uh, many different platforms really to bring education about all of these things to, to women of all ages.
0: Yeah, I I loved going onto your website. You had an incredible page about um, different diagnoses and the different areas of expertise and education that you have. And it's a little education section. You don't just say, hey, I specialize in and then provide a list. You say, these are the things that I can help you with. And then you go on to explain what they are, which I just think is incredible. Just in addition to being a resource, you're also a source of education, which is incredible. Yeah, I think that's really important. I
1: actually find that, you know,
0: a lot of times I'll
1: meet women who come to my office and we'll talk about stuff and they'll either have a lot of misconceptions or they'll be making decisions based on misinformation or lack of information that no one really explained their options to them. Um, and that, you know, when I take kind of like five minutes, 10 minutes to really kind of explain, okay, well, this is why, you know, this was suggested to you previously. And, you know, what does that really mean? What are the implications of that? And that really helps people come to a better conclusion about their health, right? Like they can kind of take all that information and really sort of process it. um, And it it makes a lot more sense. There's a lot less fear. There's a lot less mistrust around, you know, decision-making about their body and about their health. Um, So I really – that's something that I find really important. Um, So I I kind of, you know, focus on that.
0: Yeah, it was immediately the first thing I noticed. (laughs) Kind of touching on like some of those misconceptions, you said, you know, there are people who come in and are like – I didn't know what this was supposed to be. What are some of like the myths that you kind of hear most frequently oh. that people come to you with?
1: Gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, you could pick a different pick an area, and there's there's like five or six in every every aspect of women's health. Um, the big one I focus on, particularly, like I said, I deal with a lot of conditions that deal with pain. Um, whether it's anatomic related to you know, their, their anatomy and, and whether they have cysts or fibroids or a condition like endometriosis, or um, whether it's because of uh, infections or whatever, um, that, that sex that's painful is okay or normal, or that like, you know, you can kind of grin and bear it and get through it and it'll get better if you push through it. Um, that's a big one uh, that people don't quite understand that like sex isn't meant to be painful. Like it shouldn't be painful. Yeah. If it's painful, something's going on, and you have to get that figured out. Um, and same thing with like you know recurrent infections and and you know recurrent UTIs, things like that. Because I think it happens a lot to people, and so then they kind of normalize it or they kind of brush it under the rug as something that you know that that doesn't need to be directly addressed. Um, and so you know those kinds of things I often find again take a little education and um, some sort of concerted effort to kind of straighten out and and there's actually often many different treatments available for both of those kinds of things.
0: Definitely. Like I um I wish somebody had told me early on like hey you have to pee after sex because I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you know that led to like so many UTIs in my 20s and um then I discovered uh, and I don't know how medically Proven this is, but knock on wood, it has done wonders for me. Uh, D Manos has been mm-hmm. an incredible you, man. Yep. Okay. So that's right. thing,
1: yeah. So, um, so yeah. So let's talk about that. Right. Recurrent UTIs, post what we call postcoital UTIs. Like, mm-hmm. or they even call it honeymoon cystitis. Um, um, all those things are names for um, UTIs, or you know, pain with urination that develops like after having intercourse. And if you think about it, like for whatever reason, when we were you know, formed, our, our anatomy brings our urethra and our bladder, which is meant to be a sterile space, very close mm-hmm. to very not sterile spaces. <laughs> um, so like our vagina is not sterile and our, obviously our rectum is not either. And they're all right next to each other, I mean, millimeters apart. Um, and so you can imagine that having intercourse can sometimes transfer uh, bacteria that lives in certain parts normally to places that they don't belong, like the urinary tract. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's often what happens, but there are ways to reduce, um, infections. I mean, I talked about one of the reasons I got involved with the lubricant company was because that's one of my big suggestions often is make sure you're well lubricated. And whether that means using a lubricant or, you know, making sure that there's enough foreplay that you are, you know, well lubricated before right. you have, have intercourse, like all of those things that are important, because if there's friction, if there's, you know, um, irritation, if there's. Stretching of the tissue in ways that isn't really like comfortable. That's going to contribute to you know that transfer. Um, and then the other thing, like you mentioned, D I think D is brilliant. Um, it is basically a supplement that you can get over the counter. And what it does is it coats the bladder wall and it keeps that bacteria that's not supposed to be there. It keeps it from sticking. So it sort of allows it to then be flushed out. So you mentioned peeing after sex.
0: Mm-hmm. When you go
1: to pee after sex, then it helps it flush it out. So, you know, that's why we do all those things. But if, And it's not unusual for many women, particularly in their 20s. So there's two, like, kind of peaks in their 20s. And then also, again, kind of as they get into menopause because of the the, um, the hormone changes cause pH imbalances. Um, oh, great. Those are sort of the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so you know. I don't have that to
0: look forward to.
1: <laughs> but now you know how to address it, so you'll be fine. <laughs> um, but those are the kind of two peak times where where this becomes an issue. And if you keep uh, on top of these things by, you know, again, using a, um, a good lubricant that is sort of healthy and pH balancing, um, using something like a supplement like D-manos, and then uh, making sure you, you know, pee after sex, uh, those kinds of things can definitely help reduce the recurrence of um, infections. And if you're doing all of those things and still getting infections, that's a possibility too. Some people just have mm. you know, very um, persistent kind of bacterial infections that, that kind of come from, from this. At those times, you can actually even talk to your doctor about uh, using a what's called a prophylactic dose of an antibiotic. So instead of taking a full dose of antibiotics that you typically take for like a full-blown UTI or an infection, you sure. actually take a sort of mini dose and you can do it even preventatively. So like if you know you're going to be intimate that night or say just after, um, you can take just a, a small dose just to kind of, you know, nip it in the bud and like make sure that it doesn't... Oh, um, You know, we don't like to do that right off the bat. Sure. Because we don't want to, you know, create antibiotic resistances or anything. But if, you know, all the other things that we talked about are not really working, then sometimes... People will have to use this for a short period of time. It's not usually like forever. It's usually just a kind of a phase as their body sort of adjusts.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I think I that took me a really long time to realize too. Like your body just needs time to adjust. Like even sometimes if you have a new sexual partner. Mm-hmm your body just like needs time to get used to the new bacteria that's entering your body. Yeah.
1: It's like, the, it's a new partner. It's a, it's like, say with a new partner, you're more active than you had been previously. So, you know, that balance is a little bit different. Um, so yeah, a lot of different things. And then, like I mentioned, the pH kind of changes that happen, mm-hmm. hormone changes. And naturally our hormones kind of shift in general, right? Even in our, you know, Reproductive years, not even like at menopause or in puberty, but like in the in the middle, um, all those years in between. Every few years,
0: you'll notice that there'll be a little bit
1: of differences in your in your hormone fluctuations, um, and that can sometimes contribute to it, to it.
0: Definitely, and I know that like the best thing is that when you get a UTI, and then you go and you get a prescription, and the prescription gives you a yeast infection. That's my favorite. <laughs> it's when that happens. Okay
1: that happens
0: a lot um I'm, I'm a
1: bit I'm a bit proactive on that I often will tell my patients this may give you a yeast infection so i'm gonna call an <laughs> medication for that too just in case you feel that coming on um but yeah that's a, that's not an uncommon thing either because so that's something important to remember too so our vagina has its own microbiome and what that means is that it has bacteria and yeast that are supposed to live there so that's an uh, another misconception a lot of people have that they think that they like acquired a bacterial infection, a vaginal infection, or they like acquired a yeast infection from somewhere else. And it's actually not the case. We they're supposed to be there. There are certain types yep. and strains of bacteria that are supposed to live in the vagina. And there's actually certain strains of bacteria uh, of yeast that are supposed to live in the vagina. And the problem is when you take, say, an antibiotic and it can be for anything really a UTI, it could be for you know um, a, a strep throat, whatever, like any, any kind of infection, um, you end up knocking out that balance. So you get, you knock out the healthy bacteria that live in the vagina. And then what happens? The yeast actually overgrows. So it's our own yeast. It's just overgrown and not in balance. Um, and that's what causes the symptoms. So what you often need is something to bring it back into, you know, the, the normal range, the balanced range. Um, and so that's where. Um, you know, either treating it as a true-blown yeast infection. Um, I will often tell patients, you know, tend towards yeast infections. Like, say, for example, like if you're working out and you don't get to changing quickly or showering quickly afterwards Mm -hmm. and you notice that that kind of makes you feel a little bit off and, you know, irritated down there and that could be that the balance is being thrown off, that you have to be sort of mindful of that. And um, there are certain um, supplements that you can take. There are actually probiotics that are sort of built for the vaginal health. It's supposed to help replenish some of the healthy bacteria that's there, um, to kind of keep that balance, that pH balance in check. And that can be helpful if you're sort of trend towards that. Um, occasionally I'll have patients use, um, something like a boric acid suppository, which is Mm, over the counter mm. as well. Um, and that too is sort of pH balancing for the vagina specifically because it helps bring the vaginal pH back to where it's supposed to be, same thing. So, and if that pH is at that healthy level, then, you know, um, that, that overgrowth can't really happen as easily. Um, so things like that can be helpful too, to kind of get things back in the normal range. Um, the other thing also to, to note, again, we mentioned menopause when we get older and our hormones change, especially when we sort of drop our estrogen levels, that's a estrogen is very helpful in maintaining the vaginal pH. So when it starts to decline because of menopause or this is very relevant, sometimes certain birth control pills can do this too, because the way the birth control pills and the hormones actually um, suppress our own estrogen levels you know in order to, to serve as a contraceptive, that can actually throw the vaginal pH off too. Um, you may notice that things are drier or um, you trend towards you know yeast infections or bacterial infections more easily. Um, and so those are things to pay attention to as well. And you can actually do things to help, um, again, correct that pH, whether it's hormonally or non-hormonally, to prevent that recurrence.
0: Okay. And talk to me about, like, how douching is not the right way to do that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, <laughs> how do you clean a vagina? What's the pro- pro- proper way? and?
1: Self- cleaning organ. (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. It can take care of itself. Um, It does not need any kind of fancy soaps. It does not need douching. It doesn't need anything like that because we just talked about how it's supposed to have certain things at certain levels, right? So when you douche or when you use soap down there or any of those kinds of things, it actually works completely in the opposite direction, right? It wipes out all the healthy things. So we, we do not encourage that at all. Um, you know, even in the area of mild soaps, nothing that has like crazy scents, you don't want anything too harsh. You don't need to do anything, you know, excessive down there, literally just let it rinse itself out. Um, you know, I think sometimes we tend to do too much. And part of it is, I think there's this, again, I think a global misconception that like for whatever reason it's dirty or like, it's not, you know, it's not clean or what, you know, we have this perception that it has to look or smell or, or be a certain way. And that's just not true either. So I think some of that has to be kind of dispelled as well.
0: Totally. I remember when I was like in seventh grade and boys who definitely hadn't seen a vagina would be talking about like fish smells. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about how gross balls can be? Like, really? <laughs> 100%. 100% like, and like way more often than, you know, any. Right. That might arise yeah, right. That. So I, I think that's definitely something t- to keep in mind. Also, it's that I think that we've been socialized from such a young age that you know, vaginas smell a certain way or that they they look a certain way. And I know that there are young girls who are getting exposed to porn earlier and who are interested in getting labiaplasties because they think that their vagina should look more tucked in for whatever reason or shouldn't, you know, I don't know, look a certain way. And that makes me so sad because – I always say the fact of the matter is, if you're anywhere near my vagina, you are lucky to be there. 100.
1: <laughs> percent. Yes, you, I agree, and I and I think that's you know that part of that is you know education to that younger generation, and then also amongst ourselves, just how we talk about it and how we how open we are about it um, with one another. I mean, just just respecting it for what it is, you know, being kind to it, <laughs> um, and then also you know not not letting anyone talk like down or or shame the concept at all for us. I think that's like really important.
0: Absolutely. And on the subject of shame, I'm just kind of curious, this isn't a question that I had prepared and you can feel free not to answer it, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like the hymen and the idea of virginity, this concept that, you know, we've created. So it's
1: really interesting. Um, that too, you know, that's a, that's, there's a lot of, um, global and cultural uh, nuances around that, that can be really difficult. Totally. Um, With the hymen, you know, so anatomically the hymen is basically this sort of um, ridge of tissue that's at the very bottom of the opening of the vagina. And before we're sexually active and before we're sort of, even without like actually having necessarily like having had, penetrative intercourse with like Mm -hmm. a partner, like that area doesn't necessarily get, you know, stretched or um, stimulated much unless, you know, unless you're kind of, uh, unless it's in a sexual manner. Right. So um, virginity to me, I think it's, you know, yes, if you haven't had penetrative intercourse, technically, That's what they consider from a a virginity standpoint, right? But there are things that can be going on with the hymen that has to do with our development that isn't necessarily normal either. Meaning, like, just like we can have um, other kind of congenital differences in the way our body forms, that area can also be different because of a congenital development thing. So, like, you can have actually a hymen that's sort of overgrown or isn't, isn't, um, uh, in in the proper position or there's maybe some remnant kind of um, narrowing of the area those kinds sure. of things. And so that's something that often will won't be detected until a much later time. Um, either it's when, you know, if if a if a girl who's gotten her period is trying to place a tampon and can't for some reason or um you know, they are trying to be intimate and they can't because there's like, you know, too much pain or sometimes mm-hmm. they describe it as it feels like there's like a wall or something, uh, that off, that too needs to be assessed because many times there's this thinking that there's something wrong with them or, um, that they, they, again, they try to push through that pain or try to like overcome it. And that can actually do a lot more harm than good. And so it often needs to be assessed from that perspective. Um, and again, there's, you know, there's a lot of thoughts around like that it should be a certain tightness, that it should be a certain caliber that, it, you know, that as we get older or as we, our bodies change and if we've had children, how it changes and all of those kinds of things. I feel like, again, a lot of it surrounds how we think about it as mm-hmm. a, as a body part, like who is it for? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there's a lot of feelings around that. I feel like, and and again, culturally, there's one aspect of it where, of, especially, if sexuality is sort of and, and is like sort of shamed or, or a neg- like a negative concept in a culture. That too can play into it. Um, and then also, then how our bodies change. Again, are, do we accept it? Are we are we happy with it? Are we understanding, like, of the fact that this part of our body is a functional part of our body, and it's done. It's going through these changes for a reason, and we're we're cool with that, we celebrate that, or is it something that we are, you know, ashamed about or, or feel, um, you know, negatively about? And again, typically for others.
0: Definitely. No, absolutely, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, and I didn't have all that information, but still I couldn't have said it better even, even if I had. Um, I'm kind of wondering if we can do like an overview of a menstrual cycle. Because there are certain times that somebody could be more fertile. And there are mm. lots of people out there I know who are trying the natural cycles method even more. And there's, these, there's this idea that you can't get pregnant when you're on your period. There's this idea. And again, I don't even know if they're myths. These are things that I want to know the answer to like that. Yeah. You can't get pregnant from pre-cum. These are the questions. And I'm kind of just wondering in terms of fertility what are some of those myths and how does the, the menstrual cycle play into that?
1: So the menstrual cycle, you know, just like anything that is a, um, that we know about our bodies, right? There, there's, there's, they're all based on sort of statistics and averages, right? So there's what we know is the average cycle and that's what we base um, these things on. So we're, we're basing this on the fact that the average menstrual cycle is like 28 days, um, from the start of a period to the start of the next period. And then that means that around day 14 is when you would be ovulating, you know, once you've ovulated, you have a fertile window of typically, you know, 48 hours or so roughly, um, 48 to 72 hours, like where you're potentially fertile, where ovulation, an ovulation and egg is there for fertility purposes. Um, and the, it's all based on averages. Mm-hmm. and it's a very sensitive system right so it's one thing some people are like clockwork and if you're on light clockwork you literally know on the calendar day you could you know throw a dart and hit on the day like i know i'm ovulating that day i know this is the day i'm getting my period i know the time i'm getting my period right that's one thing um that is not the norm <laughs> yeah say, but there's a lot more variation typically And it could be by a couple of days, or it could be by, you know, several days. And that can totally throw a wrench in the whole, you know, natural cycle system. Um, It's, and, and not only that, it's sensitive. So different things can throw it off. It could be things in the environment, whether it's our diet, travel, stress, how much sleep we're getting, what we've been eating, um, all of these things can play a role in how our cycle plays out. And so it becomes a bit more un- untrustworthy if you are relying on it from that map from that method. Sure. So when someone tells me they're using natural cycles, you know, as long as they, I ask typically do a follow-up question of like, and if it didn't work, you know, would you be upset if you found out you were pregnant? And if they say no, then great natural so cycles is fine. I mean, you're tracking t- you're, yeah. you're you're diligent about it, whatever. Great. That's not a problem. If you would be devastated, then you should be using something else. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. There should be something more going on. You cannot just rely on an imperfect system because of course, that's what we are. Um, and as far as, you know, <laughs> pre-cum or I'll pull out, you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. There is definitely still a possibility of semen and sperm being in pre-cum, in, pre- in yep. that level of semen. And and if you think and you trust your partner to know when to pull out, then that's also pretty false. Because most of them have no idea. <laughs> and it isn't just when they climax and orgasm that like they are releasing sperm necessarily. So, again, if you're okay with it, if, if, if the idea of becoming pregnant in that manner doesn't devastate you and you'd be fine with it, then fine but if it would if it would totally throw a wrench in your whole life at that moment <laughs> for that to happen then I would say again you know we should probably come up with some other you know methods for protection there and there are there are plenty of methods available that
0: absolutely that, that
1: uh, are available and thankfully uh, at least where we live um, so you know we can we can we can talk about that and and it's not that you know everybody has to be in a birth control pill necessarily Um it's, it's more just like knowing what your options are, understanding what would be the best fit for you, having that conversation with a provider and like, you know, coming to a conclusion.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's very much trying different things. Like you gotta figure out what works for you. Sometimes, you know, the extra dose of hormones that can be in some birth control pills aren't gonna work for some people. Yeah. I had, um, uh, you know how you, like you hear on the television and like those really happy for some reason, birth control commercials. <laughs> That there's a risk of blood clots, and when I was a senior in high school, one of my best friends hand, had her leg amputated, oh my god, um, because of of blood clots, blood clotting, um, which is just like you you see that on the TV, and you're like, oh okay, but it it does it does happen, so it's important to you know talk to your doctor about all of those things when you, and also like when you go, if you aren't there, certain antibiotics that can completely nix your birth control
1: it's that it can interfere with the clearance. So basically pills are really many tiny doses of, me- of hormone, right? Like they're small doses. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important. You have to take them every day at the same time, because if you take them kind of willy nilly, like those levels aren't going to remain consistent. And that's the same thing with other medications. Some other medications interfere with the way our body clears and processes the hormones. And so that can influence the efficacy um, okay. so that's just like, you know, and it's not just, it's just, not just, um, antibiotics. There are other medications that we take that, um, you know, people might take for various reasons, uh, that can sometimes influence or interfere with that. And that might influence which type of, you know, contraception you end up choosing, right? If you're educated mm-hmm. on that. And then also at times, if you, you know, should be using a backup method, for example.
0: Definitely. That's why it's so important to talk to your doctor. I also love on your website that you talk about like how information is your friend and listening to figure out what the best method is for a patient is really a big focus of yours. Yeah. And I think, again, that's like another
1: big misconception often related to contraceptions that, you know, that some people don't even want to entertain the conversation because they think that you know their doctor is just going to shove some pill at them and they're not going to you know talk about other options and that's it. they only have this like one size fits all plan and that's not how it should be. Um, there are so many, so many options. There are even just in the realm of birth controls, there are hundreds of them. Um, so often when someone comes and says, "Yeah, I tried one; it was awful; it made me feel this way." Um, totally get it. That can happen. That actually happens very frequently. Mm-hmm but what we need to know is that there's so many other ones that if you're in it together, like we can figure out which way to go next because there's a little bit of trial and error to it. Unfortunately we haven't gotten to the point where we can do a blood test and say, Oh, this is going to be the perfect fit for you. Right. Maybe someday, Um, (laughs) maybe someday (laughs) they are, there are people working on that. Um, that. But because we're not there yet, it is a little bit of trial and error. It's a little bit of figuring out, you know, which way do we need to tweak it? And that only works if we're kind of in it together and kind of, you know, trying it out. We're gonna touch base again after a couple mm-hmm. months. See you know, pros and cons. Which way did it go? Do you, what what needs to be adjusted? Is it the dose? Is it the formulation? Um, is that not the right fit for you at all? You know, do you have remember? You know, you have trouble remembering to take a pill. Then maybe a pill is not your best choice anyway. So right. Just right. Talking about other things. So you know, having that as a conversation and figuring out what fits makes a lot more sense than, you know, um, just throwing the same thing at everybody and and hoping it sticks. Um, and then, you know, also losing that person's trust in other Mm, methods, mm -hmm. you know, what, and not educating them about what options they have open to them.
0: Definitely. No, absolutely. And, um, I'm wondering on the note of birth control, do you have any comment on the, uh, you know, there are memes circling around about this on the internet. You know, there was a male birth control uh, that was put out there at one point and was tested. And uh, it's I believe it's the case that uh, men commented that the side effects were too intense and the side effects were things like mood swings and acne (laughs) and…
1: I can't even, um, <laughs> <all> of, <laughs> there are so many things that I feel like if it was, a, if it was meant, if, if the, our only option was for a man to do it, that they would actually put some money and right you know, thought power and funding and resources into figuring it out. Right. Like if, if that was the way, and we know that this is true, so many different things, so many different, um, health issues that, if it involves men's health
0: mm-hmm. often get
1: figured out way faster. And so Viagra. Yes, like that yeah, a hundred percent. I mean <laughs> yes, if you it, we, we can talk about that and a if you want. Like what options are there available for female low libido issues versus like what options are, mm-hmm. are obviously available and covered by most insurances for men's low libido issues. Like unbelievable. Um so yeah for birth control for for sure is one of those things that, um, I don't see any reason why, you know, we really couldn't have figured that out from a, for a, for men's standpoint. And you're right. The the concept that certain side effects were just intolerable for a man. Um, but then if you look and listen to, yes, the happy person on the commercial listing out the, the hundreds of different potential side effects of all the different things that we put ourselves through um, is pretty ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like I, there's this meme that's like, do you know what I go through just that so you can nut in me for like five extra seconds?
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it is, it is, um, there's a disparity there that is, 100% true and i and i don't know what it'll take for our society and our politics and our you know and our funding from you know resources to to figure that out and balance it correctly yeah um, but yeah a, a lot of that gets um, you know sort of brushed under the rug
0: and it's difficult because then a lot of the and this is you know going into really serious territory but then the all of the onus is on the woman so the burden of getting pregnant like it's not the man who's going to have to carry the child it's not you know what i mean like it, right. it's all on the woman and i know that you know i started doing birth control because i was like i don't know if i could trust a, a male partner to right. do what you have to take like it's and i'm the one who's on the line it's my body that's on the line here and my life that would be completely changed
1: yeah and i'm 100 so, true um you know a responsible partner would be as invested in it as mm-hmm. you are, right? Like, would be as invested in, in as in the choice of what are we doing to prevent a pregnancy because it wouldn't be the right thing for either of us, right? And as a as a responsible caring partner, he wouldn't want that for totally himself. And he wouldn't want it for you, like that. That you know that conversation very rarely happens. Yeah. Um, and so often I, I counsel my patients too. Like, I mean, I have young patients that are, you know, going off to college and things. And I tell them, go buy your own pack of condoms and keep them. Because yep. do not 100%. trust that your partner or whoever it is that you want to be intimate with is going to be the one to bring that to the table.
0: And if I'm they tell you that they're too big for a condom, oh my gosh, please, <laughs> or that it, it ruins your orgasm, it's like okay, well, like I'm probably like not going to at all. So, right. we'll both suffer. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember I had a uh, my ex boyfriend. I remember asking, him like, okay, if we're not going to have kids, like, would you mind getting a vasectomy? Then we wouldn't have to worry about it at all. I wouldn't have to like you know worry about my PMDD. I could figure out these different all these different things. And he was like. I don't think so, and I was like, "Well, why not?" And he said, "Well, I heard that the orgasms just never the same." And yeah. I was like, "I'm so sorry for you, asshole." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's in it, there should be m- more readily available options. What and that conversation never happens either, right? You were yeah. having that conversation with them. No, no one's having that conversation, unfortunately. I think with men. Um, yeah. And boys and, and telling them, you know, this is just as much your responsibility um, in how you're going to approach this. Totally. And, you know, it's it shouldn't always just be on, on the woman in the picture.
0: 100%. Well, in some of these um, different areas of expertise that you have that can lead to painful sex, do you kind of want to talk about those a little bit? Just give us a little bit of an overview of each of them and what they look like, what treatment options look like. Uh,
1: Sure. Um, So we talked about some of the hormonal things like frequent infections and hormone changes, birth control pills. I mean, anything like that can absolutely lead to vaginal dryness and sex Um, and then painful sex because of the dryness. Um, And then that too, like, again, I got involved with the, the female sexual wellness company Playground because the whole concept that, we're working on is that lubricant shouldn't be like a negative thing like it shouldn't be something that you're using because somebody's you know you shouldn't be made to feel like you're broken or something's wrong with you um just because you want it to be comfortable and you know not hurt and you know pleasurable in the moment as opposed to letting it having it dry and then become you know irritated and then yeah it's uncomfortable and you know what I mean? And then the whole, it, it cascades down a whole different path, which who wants that? No one wants that. But the, the idea that like using a lubricant, that there's something negative about it um, and changing that perspective. And that's kind of one of the things that I found, you know, really sort of great about the way um, the the company sort of approaches it. Um, so, and that's, what's really important about it. Like it shouldn't be painful. And, and if anything is causing it to be painful, it actually Creates this feedback loop. Um, if sex is painful, then you it, it it affects a couple of different things. One, you don't want to have intercourse, so your interest wanes and your libido goes down, right? Because it's not comfortable, it's not painful. It, if it's not pleasurable, then your interest in it and your body's oh, yeah. ability to reach arousal and climax is is gone, right? So that there's a whole. Um, pattern of things that needs to happen. And it can't happen if, if your mind is telling you that this is not a positive experience, right? So there's that. Then there's a whole other side of it that's physical, that, that your musculoskeletal and vaginal walls, the pelvic floor starts developing almost a, um, uh, a fear of it. And in order to protect itself, it braces against mm-hmm. pain. Um, and that can create a condition called vaginismus, which is where the walls of the vagina sort of tighten and the muscles sort of brace. And that, too, is painful. So then you create, you know, something that's uncomfortable, you know, causing pain, then becomes more painful because the muscles are not reacting to it. And then the, it goes back and forth. Right. So a lot of different conditions can cause us infections like we talked about, um, trauma um, a negative experience for whatever reason. Um, um, and then medical conditions, like I deal with a lot of, um, and I treat a lot of patients that have uh, chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis, mm-hmm. for example. So, you know, they grow up having terrible, terrible nightmare periods, like terrible pain, cramps, um, all these things that happen to their body because of the hormones and that, ha- that fluctuate and how that affects, disease in their pelvis. And then that plays into their musculoskeletal system and how their pelvic floor reacts. Um, And then that leads to, you know, all this, again, tightening, pulling on these muscles, pulling on the nerves surrounding it. And then the pain just sort of gets uh, out of control. Like it just escalates. So there's a lot of different things that can lead to that, unfortunately. Um, And again, so many women will go through it and for a very long time without realizing that there's anything to do about it or that it's not abnormal and that it's not normal and that they should be addressing it and talking to someone about it, et cetera. Um, I work very closely with a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists and they are incredible. I am a huge believer in pelvic floor physical therapy and most Women have never even heard of it. Have you? Have you heard of it before?
0: I have. I had a guest on who uh, has endometriosis, and she was talking mm-hmm. about the different dilators that she used in the physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have heard of it a little bit, but I also, you know, nerd out on this stuff constantly. So I do think <laughs> I'm do i the minority rather than the majority. Yeah. So I mean, most pa- most people are like looking at me like, "What are you talking about, pelvic PT? Like, what does that mean? Yeah,
1: tail. Um, and it's actually their pelvic. Physical, they're physical therapists that are specially trained in the pelvic floor. And our pelvic floor is the network of muscles that are in um, our pelvis. So like, you know, that area like between our hips, it surrounds our bladder, it surrounds our vagina, it surrounds our rectum. Um, it's all the muscles kind of in there. And the nerves, if you think about it, the nerves that come off of our spinal cord and traverse down into our legs pass through our pelvic floor. Um, and... It dictates all these things, like how our bladder functions, how our bowel functions, and then also again with sex and the vagina, and even the intensity and the cramps that our uterus makes, like when, you know, we're we're um, at certain points in our cycle. All of that is manipulated and dependent on the the this network of muscles, um, and the therapists that that concentrate on this really focus on those muscle groups and are able to help you learn how to target some of those muscles, whether it's through breathing exercises, stretches, mentioned dilators. There's even like a wand is what we call one, of, well, one type that has a specific shape to it. So you can target some of those internal mm, muscles. Okay. And these pelvic physical therapists will actually work with you internally, meaning like through the vagina, pushing on those muscles, sometimes even rectally. Um, and then also externally, like on your abdominal wall, in your groin and like through your thighs, um, those areas as well to help you learn to target some of those muscles and how to relax them. Because we don't really think about that part of our bodies.
0: No, right? like, we no, don't think don't.
1: about it the way that we would, you know, stretch our back or arch our back if we have back pain or our shoulders or how we would roll our shoulders and, you know, do things to sort of loosen other tight muscles that may be in spasm. We don't sure. want to target those. So you have to learn you get you have to be taught. And that's what physical therapists do. And they're, I mean, I'm lucky to know some incredible ones in our area, which are just, they're fantastic Um, because this is all they do. They, they treat people that have pain and they really help them navigate this and really get them, you know, to sort of a better place. Um, And it it may take, you know, a couple of weeks. It may take several months. Sometimes it takes several years. I mean, it varies depending on the, the degree of, of, um, you know, issues and damage, Um, but they're pretty incredible um, resources. So, you know, it's something that I often will have to convince someone to go and do it and give it a try. And if anything, I tell them, you know, you're going to learn a lot about your body. Um, But I would say the majority end up coming back telling me that it changed their life.
0: I bet. Yeah. I mean, just some I'm actually doing a lot of somatic therapy right now just mm-hmm. because I have realized like due to the aforementioned trauma, like that I am so disconnected from my body mm-hmm. and anything that is going to bring more attention to being present and feeling what's actually happening is going yeah. to be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really they help truly. you target
1: that. Like how they, they help you really kind of pay attention to those things. And it's amazing the things that we do that are, that are kind of innate in us as protective measures, right? We're trying, Mm -hmm. we're trying to protect ourselves against that kind of pain, but it actually kind of backfires in some ways. And then, you know, that can again, lead to this whole cascade of issues that you often need to, you sometimes don't even realize how all this stuff is connected and, and they really help kind of bring those things to light. It's pretty amazing.
0: Definitely. Well, and, uh, Moving forward, lay it on me. What do I have to look forward to with perimenopause and menopause? <laughs> so, uh, I hear and- that orgasms get better. They can.
1: Yeah, actually, <laughs> orgasms can get better. Libido can be either way. I've had some women come in and tell me my libido is like on fire. It's amazing. Um, and others that say that, you know, things are a little bit different and a little bit off. Um, but it really is one of those things that you're right. A lot of people don't know. Um, they don't know what to expect. And it, it can be really kind of alarming and sometimes a little scary for some women to go through it because no one's ever told them what to expect. Um, and you know, the average age of menopause is 51, but like in your mid forties, you can start experiencing hormone fluctuations that can cause things that change and be different. And, you know, it's, uh, it can be kind of surprising when you don't realize what all is going on. Um, so the, the hormone changes that happen, like, so you know, you think menopause and you think everything just like shuts off and it doesn't, it actually kind of goes through this whole up and down roller coaster for a little while. That's what we call perimenopause. So that can start anywhere in our forties. And it may be during a time where our periods are still actually regular. It doesn't even have, they don't even have to be irregular yet. Um, but you may start, you know, things like temperature dysregulation. So like hot flushes, night sweats, um, libido fluctuating, um, sleep disturbances, um, um, mood, um, uh, you mentioned PMDD before, but perimenopause is another time too, where because of the hormone fluctuations, mood can be an issue, whether it's depression or anxiety. Woohoo. Um, fluctuate, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but what I often tell people is that like, even just being aware that these things can happen. Totally. really does help you yeah. manage it. Right. Cause at least you know what's happening, you know, what's going on and you're like, okay, I know what this is. Um, and then you, then you know that you, there are ways to seek help for that, like in, And, you know,
0: just knowing even like, you know, I've been having periods for over 15 years now, and Mm -hmm. I'll have like an emotional meltdown and be like, I don't know why I'm so emotional. And then my period will come and I'll be like, oh, right. Okay. But like, you know, having that awareness and being aware that these things can happen and that they're to be expected and there's nothing, you're not crazy. That can really be a huge reliever, I think. Yes. Yes. And that is actually a very common conversation.
1: You're not crazy. This is not just in your head. There is something going on. And guess what? There are things we can do for it. Um, And just having that conversation is often, even if we don't end up starting education or anything, I feel like people leave my office being like, oh my gosh, okay, like, I, I can tackle this i can handle this because you know um, i know what i'm dealing with now
0: definitely and so menopause it's kind of you said it's not the body just kind of shutting down there's this process that's a little bit of of ups and downs and once mm-hmm. that's happened it's no more periods right yeah I mean, that's probably the biggest, biggest perk <laughs> well, yeah.
1: So, okay. there's wow. no period. Um, yeah. So basically by definition we call menopause one full year of not getting your period. Okay. Um, and so once you've gone through that, like again, because of this particular hormone um, balance, once you get to that point, then, you know, we consider that menopause and then you're right. No more periods after that point. Um, it may still be a bit of an adjustment. Like um, you know, the, the other kind of symptoms might take some time to sort of settle out um, and it's Different from person to person as far as how long those kinds of things get to settle. But when our body reaches sort of a steady state in the hormones, like they sort of, it gets sort of used to its new norm, then that's where, you know, the most of those other symptoms um, go away or, or lessen.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, have that on the, on the horizon to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> Uh, we're kind of going to start wrapping up here, but a couple more questions that, uh, I really am curious on your answer for what do you wish that penis owners understood about vaginas? Um, that, that it is
1: a very sort of precious and smart and, you know, beautiful thing that should be respected and taken care of. And like you said, you're lucky to be here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think there, there should be better, more appreciation for it. I feel like there's, you know, again, such negativity and negative connotations surrounding periods and the vagina and, you know, cleanliness and all these things. And it's sort of, you know, I, I think the concept of how special and how, um, how much it does and how much it achieves, like is sort of lost on, on you know, the other half.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's been, it's been like that. I mean, since that even you read the book, like the red tent about back in like before it, back in like BC, like yeah. they would have women who were on their period and who were considered unclean, you know, sequestered from the rest of them. So it's, right. it's from a, a long way. <sighs> goes back. It's not anything new, unfortunately. Well, what would you, uh, what do you think some of the most important things that somebody should do to improve and maintain their vaginal health? I mean, I know we talked about a lot of things in this overview, but specifically, like if there's anything else we haven't touched on.
1: Um, Again, I think trying to maintain as much of that balance in whatever way. Um, Again, you know, good hydration and good diet. Obviously those things are really important for our whole bodies, but our vaginas are particularly sensitive as well. And that's helpful. Um, you know, not overdoing it from the overcleaning standpoint, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, with making sure there's proper lubrication and using products that are well designed and well thought out and, and, and created with the vaginal health in mind is really important too um and then and you know uh taking care of it so like if there's an issue don't ignore it don't you know let it slide and put up with it like just like you wouldn't do that if something was going on on your face like don't don't you know don't ignore your vagina either so you know seeking out um help for it if there's a problem that 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 seems to be happening again and again or worsening in any way.
0: Definitely. And I, you know, would tack onto that having a having a gyn who really is willing to listen, like you said is is so vital because it's I mean, our bodies in general are an intimate part of ourselves, but this is like the most intimate part of ourselves and yeah. it's good to know that you have somebody on your team who's listening to you and actually cares about you as an individual not just as a patient.
1: Yeah. Yes. And and I think that is also, you know, you shouldn't ever feel ashamed or um, embarrassed to talk about these issues with your, with your doctor, with your provider, like whether it's your gynecologist or your primary care doctor or whatever. I mean, if it's not their area of expertise it's one thing, but like then seek out somebody whose area it is. And, and they definitely should be able to be openly discussing it with you and, and, you know, listening to you. And if, if you're not, if they're not, then, you probably want to find
0: somebody who will. Definitely. Well, any last thoughts, Um, you know, in addition to that, where can people find you, keep up with what you're doing, etc.?
1: Sure. Um, so uh, the website that you were alluding to earlier is um, DrMatthewsGYN.com. Um, and then I, that's my Instagram handle as well. Um, and then I'm also on Playground, HelloPlayground.com. There is, uh, we're actually launching it this week, I believe. There's um, office hours with Dr. Shama, like a, It's a, kind of a, um, there'll be a blog post. There'll be a forum to ask questions. Um, there'll be, you know, interesting articles and things like that, that kind of pop up there as well. Um, so that's another place that, um, again, a a platform that I use for education as well.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, Dr. Shama, thank you so much for all of this information for doing kind of this quick hour of, of education. Um, I think it's so important to just have all of these answers and kind of one place. So I hope that listeners take a lot away and um, definitely want to keep up and see what else I can keep learning from you on all the things on the internet. So I'll be following you for sure.
1: That's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I I really appreciate that you bring this um, kind of information to your listeners.
0: Yeah, that's why I do it, right? I'm like, I wish I, again, like I said, I wish I had this information 10 years ago. So hopefully someone will now. (laughs) All right, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to Wine, Dine, and 69. I am your host, Rachel Dalton, and let's keep talking. Mm